What is that? Is that the three theme song? <laughs> that must be their theme song. <laughs> Welcome to Back in the Field, the only Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast as of several weeks ago. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and today we're going to talk about Emmy Time, which is <laughs> not Carl's favorite episode. I wish this were my least favorite episode. I think there's there's still Broken Feather, but this is so bad. I feel like Broken Feather is, is an episode that's not great, but it has so much more going for it than this one does. Yeah, and it's technically much worse, but this episode is, instead of bad offensively terrible. That's offensively terrible. Yes. In fact, we were just talking about how the only game that Jake is on point on for this episode is a tie game. Everything else about his game is off. <sighs> Jake, Jake, Jake. So let's summarize what this episode is about first. Sure. Because that's our, that's our deal. So for those of you who haven't watched this episode in a while, the A-plot is pretty straightforward. Jake, Boyle, and Rosa are assigned to work a, like, death in, in Brooklyn, and uh, it's a husky dude, and Jake is assigned as Boyle's secondary by Holt, and everyone's like, well, Boyle, Jake's not that great of a secondary, and Jake then goes on to take the rest of the episode to prove that statement 100% true. Meanwhile, Amy tries to unravel the mysterious puzzle that is Raymond Holt, and has extremely limited success until she figures out what's actually making him unhappy. Spoiler alert, it's statistics. It was always going to be statistics. It was always going to but be statistics. But we didn't statistics. know that then. No, we didn't. She's actually really clever in figuring that out, I think. And I think she deserves points for that. Um, I guess our C-plot is Terry can paint. Terry can definitely sketch, but also paint, yeah. Yes, Terry's quite the artist, and uh, I'm going to go with that's our C-plot. I think they cut the C-plot out, and we'll get to that at the very end. Yes, we'll definitely get back to that. So, yeah, uh, as I opened with, uh, Jake's tie game is the only game that he's on. We're going to enter a segment that we're affectionately calling Jake is the worst. He's the worst. In this episode, he is the worst detective, the worst friend, and most importantly, the worst person. Yes, he's very much the worst person. And we're going to start with that. Yeah. Because I kind of just want to get it out of the way. So Jake is the worst person in this episode for lots of reasons. And we will talk about him being the worst person in the context of his friendship with Charles and how he's so bad about everything about that. But he's the worst person because he just seems to be an incessant parade of fat jokes in this episode. He counts them. He does. He counts them up as he goes. As the show is like, look, look, here's all the fat jokes. Here they all are. I've made six of them. In five minutes, I will have one in every scene. Yes. He doesn't mm. stop making them. And and frankly, like I describe myself as being fat positive, and you know, I'm not a small human being. My end descriptor, Carl, can vouch for me in that regard. However... Conspicuous silence. Conspicuous silence. Uh, however, I will say I actually disagreed with Amanda Levitt, also known as Fat Body Politics, about this because I didn't see Jake's fat phobia as being reflective of the show's overall fat phobia, and I think that's a very fine and important point to make. And I agree with you. That was my reaction as well. We see a lot of people tell Jake to stop constantly making fat jokes. Rosa says explicitly, cut it out with the fat jokes, Jake. And for her, it's kind of get on with your job thing. But this is the thing. His prejudice is 
detrimental to his ability to do, to do his job, mm -hmm. really directly. And that's what it is. It's a blatant, ugly prejudice. And in fact, the show goes so far as to point out that Jake's prejudice ends up being the reason, like, they could have solved the case, like, days ago if Jake hadn't simply assumed based on his prejudices. He assumes that the man died of heart failure due to his weight and eating habits, rather than considering the possibility of poison, which, you know, would be right up his alley. I'm sure he loves solving poison. There is one thing about this episode that kind of gives the lie to our idea that it doesn't permit his fat phobia, which is that at the end, after the widow slash murderer says that the reason that she killed her husband is because he was a Casanova, a Don Juan, he asks for Boyle's permission to make a fat joke, and Boyle immediately grants it, and afterwards says, nice. But Boyle is a people pleaser. In fact, he straight up calls himself a textbook people pleaser, so... I mean, it's not an excuse. I'm not going to pretend like this is something that's okay. Insofar as I agree with fat body politics, these jokes were pretty crap and pretty tasteless. And not funny. Just not funny. Like, that, and that, that's the cardinal sin in comedy, is that something is just simply not funny. That I think they actually acknowledge. Like, they have a character there who's laughing at Jake's jokes, and he's the least confident person in the room. Rosa and Boyle are not amused, and they are always amused by Jake when he's funny. Yes. We can count on the detectives to know when Jake is funny. Yes, and actually, that is probably the part that convinced me that the show didn't necessarily feel this way, is the fact that nobody else in that scene is laughing except the beat. Arnie. Arnie. And Screw who, you, Arnie. Who, by the way, is not exactly a svelte person either. I get why it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I also just don't feel like, while nobody in the show actively condemned Jake's, like, fat jokes for probably way too long. Rosa did. She does eventually tell him to shut up and stop. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like the show is giving, it, trying to support Jake's perspective. So that was a big kind of like hairy thing. We were like, we should probably just knock this out early. Because the rest of this is supposed to be sort of fun and funny. Because this is a fun and funny show. So let's talk about how Jake is not in any way good at friendship in this episode. God, he's the worst. He's the worst friend in this episode. Before he learns his lesson, there's only one really, like, moment where I thought he was being a good friend, which is in the car with Boyle. He tells Boyle, like, grab my bag, I'm driving, blah, 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 but then he says, but you get to pick the music term. After Rosa gave him a death glare. Yeah. No, no, I think it was actually Amy being like, see, I told you so. Yeah, and it's, I will admit that I do like that he tries to be a better person because she's trying to lord it over him. Yeah, he will go really far to prove any point. Yes. So, as long as he knows that he's in a competition. Yes. And in that regard, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but they have a lot more in common than they don't. Yeah. However, I will say that, like, yes, Jake is, like, clearly, like, grimacing the entire time Charles is singing along to the show tune. However, he doesn't tell him to stop. He doesn't mm -hmm. tell him to stop. That's, like, the middle of the song. So he's, like, clearly been listening to him sing for some time now. I will grant that Jake's probably his best, like, moment of friendship there is that he doesn't stop Boyle from playing his music. Yeah, but for almost all the rest of the episode, like, he just spends the entire time taking Boyle for granted mm -hmm. and running over him and doing a bunch of things that he knows Boyle won't resist because he knows who Boyle is. He's worked with him for a long time. And he knows that if he steps up, Boyle won't challenge him. And he actively tries to not do his job and hide the fact that he's doing something he knows is wrong. 
And see, all I think is that that type of behavior just sounds like inconsiderate asshole to me. And yeah. and that is disheartening given like where we see Jake Peralta going at the end of the season to know how much of an inconsiderate asshole he was at the beginning. It's little things. It's the fact that like he's not a good friend and he uses Charles's sort of idiosyncrasies against him. Like that's like on the edge of cruel in my opinion. He gets a lot better, but I think one of the reasons that he's so terrible this episode is to give everyone else a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. For example, if he weren't being so terrible, it would never be Charles who solved the case. And Charles solves this case with his own insights and his own breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So, good on Jake for being a bad detective this one time. This time. Like, we can we can sort of take a sidebar and talk about Charles and his detectiveness. Because, like, I talk a lot about Charles being a grinder and how that's, like, a very specific detective type. And this is a great example of what grinders do well, mm-hmm. which is Charles goes into the the family's financials, and he's the one who pulls out that there's only one cruise ticket bought, not two, even though the wife had said that there were two. And it's like little inconsistencies and detail catching like that that actually do lock up a case, as this episode so proves. And we see him on the scene being very empathetic with the widow. Mm-hmm. We see him not making a fat joke, although you can tell anything if you want to, and being as sympathetic as he possibly can, getting the statements that he needs, keeping them in mind going forward with the investigation. And this is actually a really important catalyst to the development of their friendship, because once Charles becomes really certain that he's right and Jake's wrong, he stands up for himself. Mm-hmm. He has proof in the form of Jake's blindingly naked body that he has not actually been helping with the Emmy at all. And although, you know, he asked for permission to be upset with him, because that's Charles, part hand. And the fact is that Charles, in the, earlier in the episode, would not have would not even have asked that. He wouldn't have been upset. He would have, like, he let it go. Just like at the crime scene, Jake talks all over him, and Charles just lets it go. Even though Charles, by all rights, and Rosa kind of looks at Charles and is like, come on, take control. Rosa is very supportive of Charles in this episode. Like, and, yeah. She knows that Jake is going to kind of step over him and does everything she possibly can to get Charles to play where he can fight back. It's a nice, it's a nice foreshadowing to what their relationship looks like later in the season. Mm. Uh, towards the end. Yeah, towards the end. After all that, <laughs> the stuff that we're gonna basically be like about a whole through the middle here. But it's true that this is what Rosa and Boyle as a partnership could look like, and this is a good episode that sort of steps that up without it being overtly shippy, which personally I appreciated. No, it's not shippy at all. No. The thing about it is when they're working a case together. He's very professional with it. More professional than he is with Jake, usually. Like, <laughs> you know, we've seen a lot of examples of him, like, singing at crime scenes or something. Are you talking but, about if you like Pina Coladas? Yeah, I'm talking about if you like Pina Coladas. Yeah. Although, but I will say, like, let's draw the parallel, right? Yeah. So, Rosa is very supportive of Boyle, like, trying to get him to be better. Mm-hmm. We can contrast that pretty nicely with Fancy Breadgum, where, where Amy and Jake have that conversation just at the edge of the bullpen, and it's pretty similar. But that scene reads more shippy than this one does. Yeah, but we have proof that they have ship compatibility. True, true. That tells everything. Yeah, but I don't know, man. I've I've known some slash shippers. I can see them having a kind of mutually supportive and informative partnership. They got a lot of work to do before they can get there, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, but I interrupted you. You were in the middle of a point about Rosa and her supportiveness and Boyle's so assertiveness. The step that she takes, she does not actually say to him, you have to do this, this, and this. She doesn't 
tell him what to do because him just doing what she said to do wouldn't help him at all. What she does is she gives him enough information and enough inertia to go to the place where he'll see that Jake has been fooling around instead of doing his secondary work and letting Boyle come to the correct conclusion which will make him grow as a person. That's way, way better than just being like, do this and this and this and your problem will be solved. Yes. Which Rosa does with other people. Although she does take the same tactic with Amy in, yeah, she does the same tactic with Amy where she's like, well, she could tell Amy that it's the most boring city or she could show Amy it's the most yeah. boring city. But that is much more forceful. Like, you're <laughs> getting in this car. Here yes. we go. Yes. But Amy had been more aggressive with Rosa. We'll yeah. talk about this later. Yeah. But to, to go with the larger arc, this is a good example of what Holt says to Rosa later in the season, which is, you want to be a leader. And this is a nice, like, way of, a subtle way of setting that up. Because, like you said, she could just tell him what's wrong, or she could show him what's wrong. She has a good intuitive sense of what he needs, which is a really impressive quality. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that this is with people who are her rank equal. When it's the patrol guy, it's really different. Yeah, I mean, it's people that she has a professional use to open up to in a different way, I think. Yeah, probably. But, yeah. Holt, leadership. Wait, no, actually, I want to talk okay, more well, about why Jake is a terrible detective. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I love that. I'm all for that. So, Jake is a terrible detective, and Carl has lots of feels about this, but I want to talk about why Jake is a terrible detective, specifically in the autopsy scene. Okay. Because Jake, we find out pretty shortly after this, within a few episodes, I think, roughly that Jake's been a detective for a long time. And by the end of the season, which is where we're at now, yeah, finale, that Jake's been a detective for at least eight years. And if he's been a detective for at least eight years, he should not be this famous about an autopsy. Like, I'm sorry, it's true. Every cop book, every cop show I've read or watched, I've read a lot of cop media that I keep talking about. And one of the things that I have learned is that you can't be that squeamish of an autopsy because often you are there with the guy while he's cutting open the body and, and you're observing with him. Like a lot of times cops, cops know what a wound looks like and what the weapon is that caused the wound, like especially if it's like a small round or a stabbing, they can guess because they've seen it all. They've been in the autopsy. They know what it's supposed to look like. And so it's really, it's really disheartening. To know that Jake's like, ah, the entire time. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he skipped that part. Oh, he's definitely been skipping that part, which is a very not good idea. Yeah, like, he's been going, he's been leaning on his intuition and his cleverness to not actually study up by watching someone take apart a dead body. I can't believe him that much because I wouldn't want to do that, but I shouldn't be a cop. There's a reason you are not a cop. Well, there's a lot of reasons <laughs> I'm not a cop. Yes, I mean, yes. I don't know how much the, the consulting producer who's their like is Norm Hiscock, I think. Norm Hiscock. I think is their like cop on the set. I don't know how much the writers are putting into this, but like frankly, from from a cop aficionado standpoint, he hasn't been in enough. He's squeamed out that much by an autopsy. Means he's not been in enough of them. Means he's not been doing his job. Further proof of what Holter's initial point is: you're not doing enough of your job well. Mm-hmm. So, but there are other reasons that Jake is a terrible detective in this episode. Well, mainly there's the fact that he goes with his initial assumption and blinds himself to all possible other evidence. That is, like, such a rookie mistake. Like, I know. I'm not even going to pretend like it's anything but a pure rookie mistake. And he, you know, we see him look at all the different evidence in the room, but he had that assumption in mind the second he saw the body. 
Yeah, and you've been watching Psych lately, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's very Sean Spencer of him to do that. Yeah, it's like, zoom in on details. But the difference is, he's working from a prior assumption. Like, he sees fat person dead and thinks, hmm, heart attack. And then there's a bunch of stuff that backs it up. Right. Like, maybe too obvious. Maybe someone posed the friggin' charity wig gift basket where he would see it. I was about to say, like, all that stuff is way too... Like, the frequent customer gift basket in particular. Why was all the medication out in the living room? <laughs> in a basket. Maybe because someone trying to... <laughs> oh, God, I never realized it before. We cracked it. She's <laughs> the worst criminal ever. She, she moved it. all the evidence in plain view, and he fell for it. Oh, my God. You was... couldn't beat the worst criminal ever. Oh, my God. Like, I'm, like, freaking out. Because, like, if that was... Yo, writers, if that's something you actually did, good fucking job. Because it took us until now, like, seven viewings and, like, multiple months afterwards to figure that out. Good job. Like, that's actually great. Oh, man. I feel... That's incredible. No, he... <laughs> it's all in plain view. It's like two in plain view. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. And I mean, like, he was clearly poisoned fairly recently. They crack it. If it was, like, something simple like cyanide or rat poison, they would have smelled it on him, too. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the worst. Jake's the well, worst. Well, I, I mean, Rosa was distracted by Jake, but Charles was on the set the whole time. Yeah. So, Charles is not the worst. No, it's definitely Jake is the worst. All yeah. of this is Jake's fault. <laughs> Can we talk about that terrible singing? Awkward <laughs> segue <laughs> between two <laughs> sections. We can talk about the terrible singing. That terrible singing! The terrible singing of an example of Charles immediately jumping on is one of Jake's ideas. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know where the song is going, mm-hmm. but I'm singing along. But Jake so and... sorry. From, from me. Oh. It's fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, actually, but it's, we at the same time, we might have a musical episode, you guys. We might. Drop us an ask if you want one. Jake invites Boyle to sing in some row. He's making yeah. the, like... He's he doing a thing, he tips his ball to him, and, and Charles like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, and Rose is just, like, staring at them like, you crazy people. Which is such a difference from the beginning. This is the point I wanted to make back in the bad friend part, where Boyle gives Jake a nickname, and Jake is immediately like, you're not calling me that. We're doing all this other stuff instead. Whereas at the end, he's inviting him into a kind of mutual thing. It's still something that he has to lead. But, you know, progress. Yeah, and honestly, I prefer, like, I'm the friend who's like, come on, come on, let's go do the thing. Come on, come on, Carl can attest to this. That's how we started the podcast. <laughs> and That's true. But it's not like I'm the one who's like, and all of my ideas about the podcast. <laughs> and this is playing off something that he had evinced, that, that Boyle had evinced interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, he was singing earlier, right? Mm-hmm. With a much better British accent than anyone else in the night and has. Or does in the course of the series. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah, it's not a good British accent. It's, it's the, it sounds like, is that song from, um, My Fair Lady? Lady? Sounds like it. I have never heard it. I ran into this somewhere else recently, but I don't remember where. We're gonna fact check that and give it to you in the notes. But yeah, no, they're, I'm comfortable with Jake leading their friendship more just because as, you know, sort of the, the big extrovert amongst my group of friends and just generally being, like, a loud and large human being. Like, I'm, I'm usually the one who's like, come on, come on, let's do the thing. Come on, hey, let's do the thing. I like the thing, right? And Carl's like, 
like already tired. And I don't know, I'm comfortable with that because that's true to my friendship. And and I'm okay with that because it looks like he's becoming more more considerate as a person. Mm-hmm. Which which makes it okay. Like if it was if he was just like, Come on come on, Boyle, let's go do the thing. Come on and it was like don't say this is it's the difference between this and like what happens in the vulture where he's like, And you be the door now. Right. Or you be the wall. Like it's there's a significant difference there. Yeah. We should really we should get to the B plot. Yeah, let's talk about the B plot. So Holt and Amy have Holt, a thing. Holt and Amy do have a thing. I love how this episode this episode has kind of said, okay, we've had three consecutive episodes of Holt trying to drive lessons into Jake's head like a nail. Um, let's see how he interacts with anyone else. Let's see how he interacts with everyone else. <laughs> You're right. And, and he talks to everyone in this episode. We see a little bit of his, you know, how his personality works with various people. Mm-hmm. We see he actually has a surprising amount of rapport even this early with Rosa. Like she comes in. She sees him looking actually really sad, very convincingly sad, and she's really concerned and opens up emotionally way more than she was with anyone else. Yeah. And, of course, his response to, are you sad, you look terrible, is, I have the best weekend of my life. It's beautiful, but it's also, like, wholly unexpected. Yeah. Although Scully's, Scully's inability to read Holt is just further proof of his inability to be a detective. I love what they do with Scully in this episode. Like, in an episode that's all about fat jokes, this is actually just about, you know, the ways in which Scully is not perceptive. I'm glad that wasn't happening on two fronts. Yeah, and, and, and it, these jokes never happen again. We could, and we never... Well, in the Vulture, we do get, like, in the next episode, we do get jokes that Scully is done. You're right, and I take that back. What was it called? Uh, Hitchcock Chunk. <laughs> there's, these don't go away. No. Uh, like... There's, there's a lot of stuff in books that are explicit. Yeah. But here it's about how, like, he's an old dude who doesn't really care about detecting anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that Holt was gay. Yes. <laughs> didn't know Holt was gay. It's been four episodes. And that newspaper clipping about him being the first gay police captain has been on the wall for a while now. Like a month. Yeah. No, that's in the background of a lot of scenes still. Like, yeah. It's unacceptable. And then, like, this is the worst, like, sloppiest detective work. Lazy, you know, uh, you won't even live to see retirement. Like, that's hardcore. And Amy backs it up with, seriously, dude, just retire. Like, that's great. Like, yes. I really hope this guy lives for retirement. Oh my god, yes. Although I can't imagine how much longer he has. Most detectives take their 30. Yeah. Uh, they stay about 30 years. And well, they've done 25. Have they? Is that yeah. is that? Um, yeah, they say that they've been there for for 25 years. Okay, so we have until season five, you guys. Yeah. Which is actually the Jerry Gurkich number, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Get some new tricks, guys. Come on, guys. No, but his like, talk is not in this episode. He's the exception to everyone getting FaceTime with Hulk. And one other, but we'll talk about that later. Um, we keep alluding to that. It better be good. I hope it's there's good. There's the time in the episode. I know. There's like the end of the episode, and it's terrible. No, um. Uh, no, but we'll talk to everyone, and particularly with Amy. And I was telling Carl that this is the only episode, I think, that Amy's, like, absolute ingratiation to Holt doesn't, like, make me just cringe and sort of... Want to curl up into yourself. Yeah, in, in, in sort of, what's the word, like, embarrassment by association, yeah. basically. Like, I, I don't get this, like, oh, God, no feeling from her ingratiation in this episode. And Even the, the bowing thing. The bowing thing is the worst, but it's, like... It's prompted. Normally, Amy's incredible 
terrible ingratiation is unprompted. Like she comes in with something that is just ridiculous and mm-hmm. terrible and mm-hmm. a stupid idea the whole time. Mm-hmm. But this is like, whoa, I complimented you on something and you totally jumped down my throat when I asked you for a really simple piece of advice. What do I do? Uh, you're my boss. Uh, I'm panicking. Ah, uh, bowing now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gonna have to walk backwards away like you do from royalty because it's a sin to turn your back. Right. It's definitely a case of my normal approach is useless here, blue screen and death mode. And and the only other time I felt like this was um, I will make better mouth. I appreciated though that like her response to this is problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like she goes into immediate problem solving mode. Yeah, she wants the captain to be happy for selfish but also generous reasons. Like she actually does want him to feel comfortable in the precinct and she proves that at the end. When she realized that something was wrong, she takes a number of steps to try to make better. First with the hilariously bad idea of painting him a new picture. An oil painting. He called it Baroque, which I'm not 100% sure is actually accurate. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the dark colors and the the kind of exaggerated brushstrokes. Okay. I'm making up. I don't know. Whatever. I'm but making that up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> the atrocious behavior. I feel like just oil paintings, oil portraits are just baroque in general. Whatever. Regardless, he's saying it's an ostentatious item, and that is the actual use of baroque. So yeah. I'll, I'll grant it. <laughs> One thing in that scene that comes up is people are not good at taking what Holt says at face value. We see early that Skelly can't hear Holt threatening him with death in response to bad police work as you should be a less terrible detective. But Amy also hears why did you just paint me on a giant horse riding into battle as anything but he wants a horse. I feel like this is a nice way of setting up the like, Holt is funny to everyone except in my mind. They can't tell. Well, I mean, the Scully thing isn't, but, like, Amy can't tell when he's being humorously sarcastic. Yes, exactly. And, or, or just sarcastic, period. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and then, and, and I do, I will say that Jake is not around when Amy is doing all of this, and so in subsequent episodes, he's like, you look sad. I can never tell. <laughs> like, just straight up lampshade. <laughs> yeah. The Andre Barr, like, the poker face. Yeah, this becomes a huge thing. Yes, it's a, definitely a great running gag, and I love it. I like it a lot better than the whole, like, robot thing, which I don't think lands as well. Not always, although the <laughs> exuberance upgrade joke was great. <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, speaking of jokes that come back, bup, 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 bup. We have a lot of stuff that comes back. Yes. We're going to see that painting again, but yes. bup, 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 bup is his first mannerism upgrade download. <laughs> I just said I didn't like it, but here I go again. <laughs> um, Jake's immediate response to... Hearing Holt turn around on him, that he will regret that, and he sure as hell does. Yes, I hope that never goes away. No, I hope that happens like every four episodes from here to the end of the show. So the next time we see it is in Thanksgiving, where he says this to Jake as he's in the middle of unloading some kind of silly line about vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, and Jake's response is, "What? Uh, (laughs) Why did I teach you that?" Yes, it's this incredible eye roll that's like I regret everything about that. He should have that at face on all the time. (laughs) Oh my god. He should recognize all the regrets in his life. (laughs) He should have that face until about Christmas. Yeah. After Christmas it gets better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna talk about Terry. We talked about the painting. Let's talk about Terry. Let's talk about how Terry is the best at art. Terry is perfect. I don't have confirmation that Terry Crews created the um sketches and paintings. Well, so I believe that he created the sketches. 
oil paintings take a really long time. <laughs> and that has a lot of, there's layers to that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way he did that in the same day as is implied. Mm-hmm. But Terry Crews is indeed an artist. Carl has, has an interview. I looked it up on Wikipedia. He went I, to an arts high school. I, I heard about an interview in which he said that in college he had two scholarships, one was for football and one was art. And the, the odds are that whoever's listening to this, Terry Crews is probably better and more talented than you on a number of spectrums because that is astounding. And it's great that they brought, like, they bring all of his different talents in the mm-hmm. show. Like, mm-hmm. he wins some football later. Mm-hmm. But his art is really, it's really great how much he gets into it. Mm-hmm. And how much pride he takes into it. It's a gorgeous sketch they end up doing at the perf. And the perf's like, man, they never look great in pictures, but that sketch! It's so flattering. It is. By the way, you got the wrong guy, I didn't do it. <laughs> perfs are not smart. No! I think that once they actually get led by the nine times, they always realize that, like, uh, these guys got me. But what this brings out about Terry, beyond just that he's a great artist, is that he can always be made to expound upon what he loves. Mm-hmm. He can always be brought around to showing off his talents and the things that he has passion about, and yogurt, anything like that. He'll tell people what's great about him, and in a way that enables them. Because he's too busy to be sketchy. He absorbs other people's moods and plans. He really is a great, like, unit leader, honestly. Like, he's the right person for the job he's doing. And we see confirmation of this, like, constantly throughout the show. And I know we'll talk about in episodes like The Apartment, where he stands up for his unit. And I think that's what we're talking Yeah, exactly. These are great character moments. And beyond that, I just like that the team is committed to making... Terry's character beyond the, like, there's an obvious caricature they could be drawing, and not only they're going out of their way to avoid it, but they're out avoiding it by making him a real person. Mm-hmm. They add dimensions to Terry's costume, mm-hmm. and it, he doesn't feel overloaded as a result. It's just, it's like they're unveiling more and more of his full personality, because mm-hmm. he's spent his life so actively mm-hmm. on so many things. Like, unlike Jake, who doesn't do shit, Terry's always doing something important to him. Whereas Jake, on the other hand, appears to be spending so much of his time doing things to annoy Amy. He doesn't have very much else going on. <laughs> Apparently not. Can we talk about how those two are children? Let's talk about how those two are children. Yes. Although, let's get over the date aspect before we dive into the children aspect. Because I don't really creepy. like mixing them. <laughs> no. It gets kind of creepy. Although, their their relationship is not little boy holding little girl's hand. No. No. no that, that space in Jake's soul is full. So, the cold open of this episode is Amy on a date with some guy who looks really similar to Teddy. I guess she has a type. Uh, yeah. Also, notably, that guy mentions that it sounds like she and that guy were set up by Kylie. Yeah, that's for, that's for sure. Like, Kylie's the best friend ever. Kylie's been trying to set them up for a long time. Yeah. Um, this is also the first of two guys we canonically know Kylie has set Amy up with. Yeah. Yeah. She seems to mostly find guys who are handsome, but, like, don't seem that interesting. Like, that guy is not very vibrant in that scene. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like until you piss off Amy, she doesn't also seem... Interesting? Yeah. I find that when Amy goes out with these guys, she seems pretty boring and dull. On the dates, she seems pretty, like, nondescript. Yeah, she's kind of putting up a proper date participant front. Yeah, it's the most appropriate award coming back out. 
Yeah, Amy has an idea for how a good date should go, and it involves small talk, and they'll eat together, and after 3.5 dates, they'll kiss or something. And or whatever. Or whatever. And there's, like, a checklist in her mind or something. Yeah. And it seems staged. And we do know she has a secret list. So yeah. this might be a secret list. But we don't get to see that list in action, because <laughs> before they even get to the entree, Jake has found and ruined the state. Yes, exactly. And the thing that gets me is that when when she when she hears him say salmon shirt, gray blazer, she just looks so resigned. No, it's not that yet. Like she still believes that. Oh, it's the lettuce. Um, it's it's the lettuce. At that point, she's like legit concerned for her life, <laughs> and like, okay, how quickly can I get to my gut? And then with the he has trouble getting uh, lettuce into his mouth. And, like, the guy looks suitably embarrassed to be caught trying... He doesn't, he doesn't even know. He's just like, I know this is a problem I have. <laughs> I know that I'm not a good lettuce side well, collector. Well, she, she looks at him when he's eating lettuce, and he kind of covers his mouth like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I did, I did the lettuce thing again, didn't I? Yes, exactly. Which is actually endearing. But because Jake ruined that date, you know she's never going to see that guy again. Yeah. Also, another thing, Jake is willing to throw his own date, like, onto a fire in order to screw up Amy's date, because messing with her is just so much more interesting than that extremely attractive woman who walked away. She was wearing, first of all, she was wearing clothes much nicer than his, and second of all, she was way prettier than he is attractive. Like, I'm pretty sexually attracted to Andy Samberg, and even I'm like, no, she's kind of out of your league. Yeah, and like, that restaurant was out of his league, like, he could not really that. afford to be, to be eating there. No! Especially since he, ha- he has to pick up both ends of, of that meal now. But like, Ooh, maybe he got in touch. I think he did. He ran after that girl. <laughs> oh, Jake. But I want to note that like when he says lettuce and he's saying the comments about the guy's penis, she looks resigned. She doesn't even look surprised or really that mad. She settles immediately into a different mode. Yes. Um, a uh, time to deal with Jake mode. Right. But like the thing is for me, it's like this way her entire manner is in this. This is not the first time this has happened. No. One way or another, he's found a way to ruin multiple dates for her. Yeah, this is definitely not the first or second time. This is a pattern of behavior for him. I'm glad that, like, in ten episodes or so, no, not even eight? Eight episodes or so? Charles calls him out on the pigtail boy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this is probably the first episode that we see it, like, in, like, front and center. It's the yeah. cold open, for Christ's sake. Yeah. He's ruining your date. And it's worth ruining his own. Like, worth it is his opinion of that interaction. Yes. Even though that girl was extremely attractive, yeah. was probably pretty into him until he was like, oh wait, I need to prank my coworker. How do you even approach that conversation? Can you imagine, like, there's a picture written from her perspective, watching him prank his coworker and, like, looking over and be like, ah, she's really cute. She kind of looks a little bit like me. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah, somebody should write that. Carl, didn't you fucking dick? I didn't tell you to, I just gave you the idea wrapped up in a bow. That, this time, last time it was like, hey, you know what we should do? We should write about Kylie. Damn it. Can I say that? Kind of. Okay. Well, I hate you. Seems to have worked out for you. I hate you. (laughs) So, but like, there are children about this. Like, the later she's like, I wasn't talking. Carlton was talking. Yeah, she's, they're in fourth grader mode. Mm -hmm. Like, he's leaned all the way over his desk, like, with his, like, chin in his hands, like he's at a desk in fourth grade, and <laughs> has no respect at all for the teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, he's perfectly goading her into into embarrassing herself, mm-hmm. and she falls for it 
so hard because she never, ever got properly socialized. Apparently not. Seven brothers and you think she'd be able to see a play like this coming. Yeah, but like, I think if there's that many people working against you, maybe you just give up. I think it might just be that she's just given up. It might also be, I don't know if it's about proper socialization, but like, I don't know if your brother... This I mean, is pigtail pulling at its finest. Sure, but she also said that she skipped the fourth grade. She did, but not that that's a behavior relegated to fourth grade alone. Yeah, sure. I, I just think that like, that is a line that is, is explicitly setting up that like, she's pushed through her her career development at the expense of her personal development. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And it, it's a nice way to hat tip her character arc for the entire season. Yeah. Yeah, because that is, that is ostensibly what Amy's character for the season is about. If Jake's is about becoming better in his professional life, Amy's is about becoming better at her interpersonal life. Yeah, and the worst parts of her professional life are the parts that are interpersonal. Like she screws that up all the time because the she thinks for some reason the best ways to get people like you are to outrageously ostentatiously compliment them, like maybe give them some kind of ridiculous gift. Like it's really neither like she's overdoing her adulthood. These are badly learned behaviors. Yeah, this is definitely a case of she's overdoing her adulthood and he's super underdoing his adulthood. Yeah, he is actively trying not to be an adult. Yeah. It's kind of nice to see, like, now that we're at the end, like, mm-hmm. kind of reflecting back and seeing that. Aww, they Aww. grew so much. They really did. They're still so dumb. <laughs> they are, but, like, they are children, and they are children at each other for the few moments that they are actually interacting in this episode. Mm-hmm. His, like, expression when she's, like, when Holt's, like, do you have something to say? His expression is gold behind <laughs> her. Oh, man. Honestly, I think we were talking about this earlier, like, Andy Samberg's character is the weakest part of this episode. Yeah, for Again, sure. again. This is like the second time in a row. And I was thinking about this. And the thing is, he makes the best reaction faces in the background. And I almost yeah. enjoy those more than when he's like front and center. Yeah, like his front and center part is offensive. He's mostly working on people he hasn't established a strong chemistry with. Like, he's mostly working with the Emmy, who like, she's fine, but... She's a one-off character. And by the way, at the end of the episode... He's like, we'll never speak of this again. And they don't. That character never comes back, never mentioned, they never, like, crack, they never, like, needle him about dead guy sex, like, yep. nothing. Which, by the way, in real life, I would be constantly needling my coworker about his <laughs> dead guy sex. Also, he openly talks about it with his coworkers. He's just like, so I need your help, you guys. And Tell it, me if this is weird. This episode plays up her, like, Jake pretending that she's, you know, got no sexual experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But also, like, her response to him making the dead guy's head connection is, you, 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 no, 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 covering up her ears and, like, scratching her eyes up tight. Yeah, hear no evil, see no evil. Because that's going to help with, his, like, imagining something. Yeah, it's already in her head now. Oh, I do love roses. He's right. Do you not know what sex is? <laughs> that was just such a great, like, one-off line. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Rose, Rose is by far the strongest character in this episode. Which is usually a position held by Gina, who is not in this episode at all. More awkward segues. <laughs> Gina is not in this episode at all. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to pretend that there was an amazing Hitchcock and Gina C-plot that they couldn't keep for time constraints. Like, they went on some kind of crazy adventure together. Maybe get better Tupperware. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe it was a Tupperware adventure. Did that already... Well, that was in a previous episode, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that was in episode two. Yeah. Because she was like, Hitchcock, get better Tupperware. I can't 
Uh, it hurts my hands. It's my hands when I open it and eat your lunch. Oh my god! I bet they did go for better Tupperware. That's that's the actual C plot. Gina and Hitchcock went shopping for better Tupperware. Most easily opened by Gina. Yes. Like her in an aisle opening all the Tupperware, <laughs> just throwing it on the ground. Yes, and none of it was Pyrex because I own nothing but Pyrex Tupperware, and that shit's hard to open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on that cheerful note, thanks for listening to Back in the Field. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and we'll see you next time.